call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 88 of Call It Friend, or the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy G. Ritchie, and my co-host Danica Tiernan watched Escape from Alcatraz and Runaway Train. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friend or Podcast. Drop us a line there for any feedback or recommendations. Peace. we're live we are we're back yeah man uh i suddenly uh, like i quickly realized that i had definitely seen escape from alcatraz a lot of times when i was younger that's hilarious yeah 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 i so i, I realized it was a, a movie that whenever it was on our irish television my dad would be like oh let's watch this and then i looked up and it was a huge hit in ireland something about it really like whereas something like star wars was not Night Saturday Night Fever, huge hit in Ireland. Star Wars, not um, seriously. Es- yeah, yeah, yeah. Escape from Alcatraz, smash hit in Ireland, that and, says it wa- a lot. It, and it did not do well in terms of uh, Clint Eastwood's career. Mm. Like it made its money back, like anything would have back in those days. But uh, it he didn't get nominated like he expected, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a weird choice. It's a weird choice mm. for a film. I was about one hour into it before I paused and just looked and was like, is this a true story? I didn't realize it was based on a true story, which oh, is really? quite important, which I think is quite important to notice. In the Although viewing maybe of it, not. yeah. Although maybe not, because both of these films set out with protagonists that are bad guys. And yeah. you're you're on their side. You're supposed to be on their side. Yeah, I don't yeah, think it's very much from that 70s school of anti-hero, for sure. Yeah, but is, is there anyone who's making films like this anymore? No. Is the is the absolute answer to that? Absolutely not. Because you're um, not allowed. You need to have like a moral compass or a stronger. Well, okay, these guys are like, yeah, they're antiheroes, but they're also pretty bad guys. <laughs> you, but you get you get tastes of that outside of you know um, British and American films. No, actually, you get it in British films. You just don't get it in the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. Like for example, um, Starred Up is another prison movie from a few years ago with Jack O'Connell and Ben Mendelsohn. That is very much of the anti-hero ilk. Um, and uh, this is just t- talking anti-heroes in prison now, uh, but I'm sure be- beyond that it exists too. And also the Jacques Audiard film, A Prophet, uh, oh, yeah. is is very much of an anti-hero ilk. But no, this, at the same time, they're making the anti-hero... They're doing an impression of a 70s film as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Like, there's something so real about uh, this and um, the other one even though it was made in 1985, Runaway Train, it's a 70s movie, let's be honest. It could have been directed by William Friedkin, for uh, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but let's talk about that in a little bit. So Escape from Alcatraz is based on a real um, escape that happened. Have you ever been to Alcatraz? I, w- <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was <laughs> it's one, That's such a weird thing where I was going like, I was asking myself, have I been to Alcatraz? I've been to San Francisco. And I've stood at the bay and looked at Alcatraz, but I've obviously watched so many films and videos and stuff. I started to, I was like, have I been there? But no, I did watch The Rock. Does that count? I uh, I went to Alcatraz and it took an it took an argument or two because I was like, I really really wanted to go. Who didn't um, want to? Oh, was this when you you were young, right? You were quite young at the time. 
Well, I was in my early twenties, yeah, yeah. But the per- the person who I was traveling with um, did not want to go, and I was he wanted to go very, to some Irish bar somewhere. Very insistent, and uh, when when we were coming back, she did actually say, "What was a she?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did actually say, "God damn, that was that like for real. That was one of the coolest tourist things I ever saw in my life. It is something else to go to Alcatraz. Really, the the tour laid out very nice. I know I said this just last week about." Um, the 9-11 memorial, but a good tourism setup that, you know, they don't oversaturate it. There's not too many people in it at once. Like, particular, like I mean, it comes naturally to the structure, but they do very good crowd control in Alcatraz. There's not too many people in there at the one Is time. Is there one of those things where they, like, put you in the cells and then shut yeah. them or something? They lock you in. They also take you through the propo- the supposed route of Frank Morris. And they have uh, a mock-up of his own papier mache head that would have been in the cell right there waiting for you. So it's I mean, pretty cool from, to look that. I went back and read quite a bit about the actual 1962 escape, the three guys who escaped. Fascinating, isn't it? So much stuff has happened. Like the, the FBI received a letter in 2013, I think, from like uh, one of the one of the two brothers saying that they all escaped. They lived full lives. Um, I think Frank Morris supposedly died in t- uh, 2008. I think they did. Yeah. Um, I read beyond the Wikipedia on this one, as a matter of fact. Uh, and um, there's so much evidence to suggest a few of the following. For, okay, for, I'll just run through a synopsis yeah, real quick. For, pe- for people who, who, um, who haven't seen the film... We'll talk then about the real story, then we'll talk about the, the film and whatever. So in 1960, a prisoner named Frank Morris, played by Clint Eastwood here, who has escaped from a few other facilities apparently, uh, is sent to maximum security in Alcatraz, which is the place they put prisoners who, you know, they fucked with the system too much. Anyway, the second he gets in there, we're greeted by three very familiar prison tropes. Uh, a warden against humanity in general. A rapist <laughs> and a friendly black man. Did Stephen <laughs> yes. King just lift this? I think so. uh, there's so many Shawshank yes. parts. I mean, I because this I think this was the first time I'd seen this. Maybe I saw it when I was a kid. I don't remember, but I was just the whole time going Shawshank, Fresh Fish. There's a guy who has a mouse, so you've got a guy a con looking after a small animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's a rapist. There's working That's in the, the library. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. the black guy showing him the ropes. There's the old guy who loses it. For sure, Stephen King on Coke accidentally lifted this story. <laughs> like and added fantasy. And I've read the novella, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And it's magnificent. It's a great, great read. It uh, I think the film is great too. But for sure, <laughs> for it's sure. even closer to this story as well. I, I think. I mean, this just must be the kind of archetype of prison escapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is like now the USA's anyway. most famous prison escape. It is now. Um but yeah, anyway. So Wolf tries to tries to rape Morris uh and uh Morris puts him in his place, etc. But the point is he you know, basically he's put on a clock and when that clock gets down to zero, he's getting raped in his ass by a guy named Wolf. So he's got to escape. So he first recruits uh, the guy in the cell next to him, Charlie Butts, played by a friend of the podcast, um, Harry Dean Staunton, isn't it? No, it's Larry Hankin. God damn, I thought that was... And he's still alive. He's an enemy. And he was in Breaking Bad. Ah, that's where I recognized him from. 
Okay, but he does look quite a bit like Harry Dean Stanton, doesn't he? Uh, does he? I, I literally so. didn't even bother looking that up. I was so sure. That's I, hilarious. I, yeah, he plays yeah. old Joe in Breaking Bad. All right. Well, fair enough. Okay, so who cares? Because he pussies out in the end anyway. Uh, but then Morris no, uh, encounters two people he knows, the Anglin brothers. Uh, he knows them from another prison, and uh, they link up. But in the meanwhile, they get the motivation to escape, which probably didn't happen in real life, but it's based on a real thing that happened in Alcatraz. The warden took away somebody's painting privileges. And your man was so just vexed by it that he chopped off his own fingers, which is a thing that actually happened. Anyway, that, uh, along with the threat of being raped by Mr. Wolf, um, just amasses, even though they have the support of the black community within the prison, which is pretty cool, because one of the introduction lines that Clint Eastwood makes to the head of the black community, I couldn't even repeat here. Yeah, and that guy, that character is called English. Yes, that's right. Was there some irony, because the warden's played by Patrick McGowan who was... The prisoner. He was also the king in Braveheart. Is he Edward Longshanks? He's Edward Longshanks. So the uh, problem with Alcatraz is that it's full of English. <laughs> there you go. And it proper is, yeah. Uh, Fred Ward, of course, a famous... A y- young Fred Ward. Yeah, yeah, very young. Well, what do you know him from most? Tremors. Uh, I would be naked gun two and a half the smell of fear. That's solid. I, when watching <laughs> this watching this film, I was like, Fred Ward is the 1970s John Bernthal. Excellent call. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for real. He's a real one. Yeah. Which is the name of uh, John Bernthal's uh, uh, podcast. podcast is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just boy shit. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So Morris runs into these two boys and uh, they decide, they make this plan to using papier mache uh, to make fake heads and to make fake sink grills. What they're going to do is basically figure out a way to the roof of the prison where they'll have sewn together raincoats and a way to make a raft and they'll paddle off the the island and escape. Um, when it eventually gets to the night of it, uh, Charlie Butts kind of pusses, pusses out. Um, and then he turned out to be a rat in real life, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, he ratted them And he all also up. did that, the uh, the real Charlie Butts, I can't remember his name, his his real name. He got mm. sent back to prison multiple times and ended up dying. I think he had a pretty tragic death as well. Well, So anyway. that's what happens if you puss out and don't yeah, go yeah. through with the plan. If you're, yeah, yeah, if you're a, a rat as well. But actually, it's because of his ratting that people have been able to piece together so many uh, clues about what might have actually happened to these guys. Anyway, yeah, uh, butts pusses out. Um, they get the flotation device going and they paddle off the island. The warden finds the symbol of uh, mental freedom on a rock, this little flower that the various <laughs> characters have been, and in a very, in a perfect Don Siegel jobbing director moment he's just like all right and that's a wrap that's what we're doing with this uh this airport book of a film and uh, they wrap it up like that and we get a little bit of an epitaph and i was struck by like in let's using big words let's say in the post 9-11 era uh with this probably directed by paul greengrass yeah yeah the attention to detail rather than the poetry of the real would have been it would have just been a completely different film. It would have the been first, some. The first eight minutes of this film are basically wordless, and it's just him yep. on the boat. It's Frank Morris, Clint Eastwood it's on great. the boat I love being that. transported I love that to part. Alcatraz. Yeah, uh, you yeah, don't I really that was do great. that so much anymore. And as you say, in modern day, it would be someone like Greengrass. 
Well, it's like uh, they, they're very into the pathetic fallacy, like, you know, the second after somebody says, welcome to Alcatraz, you get the lightning strike and, and all of that oh, shit. Yeah, the, the, uh, the um, cell door slamming shut. Yeah, um, so I had a really good time with this. Um, it, again, it, ju- it just made me think, ah, oh, God, they, they, they ju- I'm just after finishing reading um, Quentin Tarantino's novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, his knowledge of real... Like just be, I, I would say this was researched if I hadn't seen so many interviews with Quentin Tarantino. His knowledge of everything that was released in the seventies is just <laughs> just staggering. But the the fact is, then if you go back in the sixties and seventies, Hollywood is they were just churning out films like this, and they were all getting cinematic releases because there was no VHS. Everything was getting a cinematic release and could make some money if it if it was okay. They'd be making films for nothing. This despite the fact that it cost like a lot of money for the day, eight million. Um it felt like one of those just jobbing seventies movies. Um it felt like well, I've only seen two or three other Don Siegel movies, but they're like uh, let's see, I've seen Dirty Harry, I've seen the first Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um I think I saw The Beguiled. Yes, I've I've seen The Beguiled actually. That's the one in the Civil War. Um they also, but, uh, together, they made Coogan's Bluff, Two Mules for Sister Sarah. Okay, yeah, and this was the last This was the last time he collaborated with um, Don Siegel, right? Yeah, they got into a big argument because Clint Eastwood always worked with Warner Brothers and he wanted to make it a Warner, but Don Siegel took it over to Paramount and it caused a huge feud. They never made another film together after this. Even though he dedicated Unforgiven to Don Siegel. Well, I guess he learned his lesson. Yeah, he dedicated it to uh, to Don and Sergi Sergio. He fa- he had a big falling out with Sergio Leone as well. <laughs> uh, Clint Eastwood, famously difficult man to get along with, uh, especially by um, I think his partner of ten years, lady who was a an actress as well. Some, um, not doing her justice, but now, but we'll get we'll get around to her, I suppose. Sandra Locke. S- Sandra Locke. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, she got treated uh, very. She got. He kind of um, used his various influences to. Um, just stop her ability to work. He sounds like a real prick the more you read into Clint Eastwood, to be honest. Sounds like a real dickhead. I wouldn't say this off of many people, but from gossip, just from gossipy accounts alone, but he sounds like a real piece of shit. People, people say Robert De Niro's a real piece of shit, um, basically because he's not approachable in any way. And I can kind of be forgiving of that in a way because... He's just, he's one of those, he's one of those people I classify in so good at acting, he's probably crazy. So I guess he doesn't like the attention, so to speak. Clint Eastwood definitely is not in that camp. Uh, he, what is it, um, uh, Sergio Leone said about him, he's got two modes of acting, hat on and hat off. But yeah, if you just read about his personal life, man, he just sounds like an awful piece of shit, really. He's probably just, I don't know, he's like a product of his time a little bit as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a bit of a break. Fair, okay. So, all right, we can go. We can get into talking uh, talking Clint if you want. I I personally, as far as separating life from art goes, I love Clint Eastwood. I'm a huge fan. What about you? Um, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, he's got some great films, but I think as he's got older and older, definitely. I mean, there's there's a point where he's churning out you have to separate the acting from the directing because in his later life he's that kind of one take directing where he's like one take okay print it let's move on 
Yeah, I don't believe he did that with the likes of Unforgiven, quite frankly. No, because no, the, no, no, no. Because the way his filmmaking is these days is the the lack of attention to fine detail in <laughs> films that, that would be good if there was a bit of attention to detail is kind of staggering. We've, in we, fairness, he is 92 years old. I get it, but you'd think he would have producers on set that would go... Come, the, I, I've told you this before, because I think we discussed it on this podcast... When we watched um, American Sniper, American Sniper yeah. the thing that stood out to me uh, wasn't the this baby that everybody got scared of, is when they were doing the drinking competition in the bar, the shots that they were drinking, like, if anybody drank shots like that regularly, like, as in, let alone for a shot competition of six, they'd have to be taken to the hospital. And I'm talking are, about... Those, <laughs> those were his 1960s shots, probably. <laughs> Maybe they were harder men back then. But I just thought... No, like, like there should be a producer on hand who goes, uh, Mr. Eastwood, but Mr. Eastwood probably doesn't want to listen to it. I mean, you, I would definitely think this if uh, anybody who's seen the video of him comparing Barack Obama to a chair would believe. Um, oh, yeah. I remember, you remember that. that? Yeah. Wow. I haven't thought about that for a while. Yeah, but if I had to choose between the two, I'll definitely uh, take Clint chair, as an actor. I would say on a chair. <laughs> Uh, I was I was talking Clint director Clint oh, actor I take his life as an actor uh, over his as a director to be honest yeah agreed I think he's fine here I think he I think he does the job well I just think watching this film after you know like most people having seen Shawshank Redemption four million times and just going mm. like I prefer this story when the guy's not guilty <laughs> He's been framed. It's not, but that's. I mean, again, it's like it's you're telling a true story here. But, but that's equally, I, that, that, that's the factor that I think. Like that's the the yeah, king sprinkle of fantasy. That's the that's the thing that makes me able to completely separate them as films. Mm. I'm just I'm just yeah, noticing the plot points that are there, but they that's are fair. quite different. And I do I do think that there's I like a I like a by the numbers action film where it's you're watching people, clever guys do things mm-hmm. and eventually they make it work. I like that. Um, and this is very slow process in that regard, like um, All Is Lost or that uh, thing we watched a couple of weeks ago, which I can't recall right now. Um, I found it to be a, a great film to disconnect to. Uh, a four star, not a five star, would watch again. Where do you stand? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. Like I say, when I, I stopped the film after one hour to check if it was a true story, and when I found out it was a true story, I was I could kind of follow along a bit better and go like, okay, I can make peace with the fact that yeah, yeah. I'm not really supposed to like these characters necessarily. I'm just supposed Plus, to follow them. If somebody if somebody pitched this screenplay and it wasn't based on a true story, you'd be like, why doesn't any, what's this? <laughs> what <are> the, <laughs> why is this what happening? Fuck, what the fuck is this? What are you talking about? the fuck out of here yeah but yeah i mean it was like it's they managed to build up a lot of tension surprisingly gory the chopping off the oh, fingers yeah. etc violence of, is great in it yeah it's very violent there's uh there's certainly a lot of threat but yeah. like both both of these films are of their time where i mean apart from slurs that are being thrown around but there is just a lot of kind of like are you jiving me sucker <laughs> yeah and unfortunately for him, and we'll get around to this, but um, Clint doesn't exactly get uh, the anti-hero of the week this week by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. That goes to somebody else. So you want to talk a little bit about what actually happened? Yeah. So, I mean, my understanding of what happened was like Alcatraz was about to close down anyway, 
Yes, that's uh, cr- that's completely Robert, correct. Robert Kennedy was the attorney general, and basically, like Alcatraz was falling apart, uh, which is, I mean, is shown in the film that the um, the seawater or sea air had started to attack the concrete walls, which were now sort of kind of falling to pieces. They didn't have any money. The place was a shithole. And so it was going to get shut down. Like he, uh, yeah, Robert Kennedy had already sort of put the ball into, things were in motion. But then when this escape attempt happened and when the escape was successful, that was the like the final nail in the coffin for Alcatraz. Hmm. Actually, the one thing that's mental to me about both of these films is in the 1960s or even the 1980s, the concept of a maximum security prison looks like a summer camp if you compare it to like supermax now like yeah, uh, yeah, florence yeah. like florence colorado if you compare that to you know to to these prisons you're like these guys have got art classes they can do whatever they want the other one's got like a, a prison boxing match <laughs> yeah all kinds of things going on but uh, yeah anyway so back to the true story yeah so about the like so the the four boys yeah, uh, the name of the real guy was Alan West, and yeah, he became a career criminal. Then you have the Anglin brothers, uh, who were just, I mean, they were kind of career criminals as well, but they were kind of just being led along by Morris. Morris, in the meantime, had a freakishly high IQ. Um, he would have been. I thought it was in, like 132 or something. It, well, he would have been in the top 1 or 2% of the um, n- national average, from what I understand. A very very smart man, and, um, and 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 we're told that in the film by the warden looking at his notes. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Extremely high IQ. But that, there you go. That's that's just good old fashioned seventies movie making. Do you know what I mean? We I, don't d- need... I didn't mind it. I was like, okay, yeah. he's smart. Now I know. And uh, well, I mean, the escape attempt was the escape was perfectly pulled off. You know what I mean? What, what more can you say of them? But the the part that's quite interesting is um, is the aftermath. Because, of course, immediately everybody is saying, oh, they must have drowned in the bay or whatever. But then you've got all these sightings that, once strung together, they do have that feeling of, why would so many people lie about this? Because there are insane lies, and like, the, and that's a real factor that police always have to take into account, particularly if there's an unsolved mystery that some lonely person just calls up and says, "I saw this person, whatever." <laughs> but the people Please involved, talk to me. the people involved are like family members and people close to them, and there's a lot of deathbed confessionals going on and things like that. They've also analyzed photographs and said that they were pretty sure that they were real. Of the yeah, yeah. Um, Anglin brothers. Uh, yeah, so uh, are you talking about the ones uh, at their mother's funeral? Something like that. There's a, yeah, they've yeah. been spotted all over the place. That's the thing, though. There's like some of it. At, in... at their mother's funeral, two uh, oddly dressed, freakishly tall <laughs> women showed up to mourn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Solid. reportedly cried. I um, respect that. I mean, in 1962, to go off the grid after you escape from prison is a lot easier, obviously. The, as the years pass, it gets harder and harder. Yeah, so the, a lot of what I read reckons that they kind of, they opted to just follow Morris um, 
and because he said to them, look, if we're going to get away with this, we need to do A, B, and C. So get organized, say some goodbyes. Uh, Morris only had one person to say goodbye to, kind of, and that was his brother, but he wasn't really close to him. And uh, reportedly he did, and it was his niece gave away the game years later and said, yeah, I remember my father met up with, uh, mm-hmm. his, his, who said it was his brother. But a lot of people reckon what they did was, uh, went first of all to Mexico, um, and then... May the Anglin brothers showed up in somebody's research somewhere, uh, or almost got caught, something like that, and then they went down to Brazil for a few more years. But they all they they reckon that they all three of them finished off their lives in the U.S. Um, it's such a pity that somebody wouldn't just spill the beans and solve the fucking mystery. Just just do the world a favor, you know what I mean? I mean, my like my understanding of the the letter in 2013 that they received was that one of the Anglin brothers. Like the other, the two guys, the other two guys had died and one of the Anglin brothers was like trying to get medical care because he was dying of cancer as well. Mm. And he basically said, yeah, we've, we've lived all right. <laughs> he said, I we made can. a good choice of coming back to the USA to, to get end of life care. I mean, they're all dead by now, for sure. Yes. No matter what. They've still got like an open case file on them until 2030 when they would all be 100 years old or over 100 years old. Like they they set that for like a specific period of time, mm. so like the the case will be closed in twenty thirty, I think. Well, I liked it quite a bit, uh, to be honest. I got along really well with it, but not so well as uh, the response film. I have to say, uh, I for a split second last week, I thought I had seen Runaway Train, um, but I I think I I had seen some other film with a similar storyline. I don't think I had ever seen this film, and I think this film is fucking superb. Shall we? I'm going to start off. I'm going to go. Let's go straight into the synopsis. Let's go synopsis first. Yeah, let's go synopsis first. All right. So, yeah, we've got Runaway Train. The film stars John Voight as Oscar Manny Mannheim, a bank robber imprisoned at Stonehaven Maximum Security Prison in Alaska, which looks like Arkham Asylum. I mean, that does look like a rough prison. There's like burning toilet paper going flying. Yeah, it's in Alaska as well. (laughs) It's such a cute, like a heavily populated prison. And it's in the middle of nowhere in the, like the most extreme part of the US. Um, But anyway, so he's, uh, this, this prisoner, uh, Manny, Manny Mannheim, he's been Mm. in solitary confinement, welded into his cell for three years by the sadistic warden Rankin due to having broken out twice before. Yeah. After Manny is stabbed at a prison boxing match, which they apparently have. Oh, uh, it's brilliant, that scene. <laughs> a stabbing orchestrated by the warden, no less. Yeah, he decides to break out again, gaining the help of wacky young con Buck McGee, played by Eric Roberts. The two men use a laundry cart to get past Tiny Lister, playing get, a guard. They, they get by very easily, don't they? That's got to be the easiest <laughs> escape I've ever seen in Well, they had anything. some porn. He got to look at porn. That was it. Yeah, yeah. They and did then, get some uh, porn. That's pretty cool. And then, and then they strip off and grease each other up, and then they slide into a freezing river, and then trudge their way over snowy wasteland before coming upon a railway switchyard. And after changing clothes, they jump on a train made up of four locomotives. What could possibly go wrong? Well, it turns out lots. <laughs> well, seemingly at that exact moment, <laughs> the engineer driving the train has a heart attack. And falls from the lead locomotive, dead. A fantastic coincidence, and one I'm still happy for. Fair play. I mean, there's. I mean, wait till we get to ranking on the helicopter as the unmanned train accelerates. 
The staff at the signaling office make a series of efforts to stop it using their newfangled 80s tech. Just before attempting to derail the train, they hear the train horn being blown and realize that someone is on board. And that someone turns out to be Sarah, played by Rebecca de Mornay, a young ostler, apparently is the name of her job, who rather impressively knows next to nothing about trains. <laughs> That's true. Because <laughs> it's the 1980s. They ask her, do you know how, do you know how trains work? She's like, no. <laughs> no, I don't know anything. I'm just done one. Leave me alone. I'm just a lady on a train. That's true. That's a very fair criticism. <laughs> As this is going on, Warden Rankin has been flying around in his helicopter searching for Manny and Buck, but really just searching for Manny because he wants to have a showdown with him. Oh, totally. Could have just left him, could have just gone away, but no. Manny but Buck the and same Sarah, person. Yeah, they're flip sides of the same kind. Manny Buck and Sarah. Wait, there's one point Manny says, you, you got to do what you got to do, and I got to do what I got to do. I got to make, I, 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 I take scores. You try and stop guys like me. I know, right? <laughs> Manny, Buck and Sarah start working together to shut down the locomotives. However, getting to the front of the train is a nigh on impossible task. Uh, Buck tries before freezing his balls off and opting to retreat, only to be greeted by Manny telling him to get back out there, sucker. Yeah. Leading to a confrontation between the pair. Manny Manny's kind of right. Manny holding Buck at knife point realizes in an are we the baddies moment that he's become a bit of a dick and apologizes yeah. to Buck for, for losing his humanity in such a terrible manner. As the train hurtles towards its impending doom, Rankin, for some insane reason, <laughs> decides to get lowered from his helicopter onto the runaway train. Yeah, yeah, that's madness. To have the show down and kill Manny. However, but I mean, I'd, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make my point well, after. We're almost there. There's only a couple of sentences. However, Manny climbs forward to the front engine and beats up Rankin, chaining him up inside. Manny then goes back to uncouple the other locomotives, saving Buck and Sarah as he and Rankin ride off to their off-screen deaths. And then the film ends with a little quote from Richard III. <laughs> What's so wonderful about this film is it knows exactly what it is at all times. So, And you can tell by the music, right? Because for a, a long period, it's just a kind of a hard-nosed thriller, genre thriller. It's a prison escape movie. And the 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 music is it's 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 a little bit odd. Even the world is so lived in, and we're not used to that type of music. But I'm sure it was of its day. But then in the last act, where it's just un, it's not exactly spoken, but it's very emotional. You feel it. It's a it's a much deeper philosophical movie than you think. And all of a sudden, you got fucking Mozart flying in and Vivaldi and all of these classical tunes. And uh, yeah, just it really takes you over. I, um, as I'm sure you can tell, and I've already said, I fucking loved this. I thought this was absolutely terrific. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I loved it. Uh, I think the way that it's aged, this feels like a film that's trapped in the 1980s a little bit. It felt like the same Friedkin who made Sorcerer could have made this. Oh, I can't. I can't compare this to Sorcerer. I think Sorcerer is a. And I think Sorcerer is way I, better than this. I agree with what you're saying. I do yeah. think it is way better, but I think this ha- it, this it, is definitely it's a, a similar cousin. concept. It's a similar yeah. idea of Tim making that twist men. in the in the plot, and then you you just you're locked into this action scene that's just going to continue. Yeah, and it's like desperate men that you you just kind of realize that 
no matter what happens, they're damned. They're all damned. You know what I mean? This is, but, but they can't do anything else but fucking rage. And the same is with the, the, the warden. He can't do anything else. The part where he <laughs> climbs down the rope ladder is hilarious. Like, I was so engrossed in this film. And that was just, every time it cut back to him on the ladder climbing down. I was like, you're a warden. You wear a suit. This is ridiculous. All you had to do, the train is going to crash. He can just go away. You just you stay on the helicopter and observe them dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, um, he, needed to, he needed to be there to see him off. Needed Perfect. to have his show down, yeah. Um, you know, I think that's So wh- what were the issues you had with it before I pile on about everything I loved? I found the dialogue quite hard going. I get the point that it's... Uh, maybe this was how prisoner... I mean, like, you've got Eddie Bunker and... Danny Trejo are both guys who spent time in and out of prisons in the 1950s, 60s, 70s. Mm. So they're like, they're, you know, both heavily involved, especially Eddie Bunker, one of the uh, co-screenwriters. So, I mean, let's, if, this, if that's what Eddie Bunker says, that's how people talk to them, fair enough. But yeah. maybe my problem is more with John Voight. Maybe John Voight, an Oscar-nominated John Voight, not Oscar-nominated uh, for Best Actor. Also Did you not think, Roberts, I thought he was Oscar-nominated. absolutely... I thought the, the Central Two were unbelievably good in this. I liked Eric Roberts more. I don't know. I mean, the, the whole John Voight thing was he was playing against type at, the, at, at this time, but like... Mm. I just found the performance... Like I say, maybe it's like locked in the time period, but... I don't know what he's... What accent is he... Is he doing Philadelphia again? Is he doing Rocky? Because I don't... It's odd because I've, re, I've recently watched a few Rocky movies, uh, but I couldn't exactly tell you. Um, there's just a few insane moments. Like early on in the film, he laughs when he finds out that Eric Roberts' character works in the laundry room. And the way he laughs, I was almost going to clip the sound effect because I would just thought like, what is this? Like what? What? Ca- why, <laughs> See, most of my problems were with character, nothing to do with the action. I enjoyed all the action. Like most of my problems were with dialogue and, and character that I just felt they just feel weird. It's not a surprise to me that the director was Russian. <laughs> He's like one of Russia's like most esteemed directors. He's yeah, he made a very good now. film um, uh, last year that I yeah. really recommend. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, Comrades, I think it's called. Right. That's um, the one about like a like a kind of a massacre. Yeah, like twenty something people were killed in a like a Soviet town. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. Um, yeah, and Andrei Konchalovsky, uh, he made his his magnum opus, of course, Tango and Cash, which unfortunately he was, <laughs> he was fired from. I like uh, what well, I think John Voight's character in a way makes sense in this because he's a he's a madman. He's a bit of a wild card. I know the laugh you're talking about, and I thought it kind of made sense because he's kind of not of this to world. Be fair, he has been in solitary confinement yeah, yeah. for three years. I'll and I th- give him a bit of a break on that. And I thought, I mean, you know, you know the film Bronson and how surreal it is. I thought mm. this was like his performance was like Bronson minus the surrealism. Like I, th- I, th- I thought it felt grounded. It felt real to me, and he felt like a really dangerous person. That was the thing. At no point. Yeah. Do, do, at no point does it feel like uh, Eric Roberts is safe in this. Manny no. could kill him at any moment because Manny is a, an insane psychopath. I think um, that's fair enough. I, I don't think I read that early on. I think I saw Manny, for some reason, I was kind of reading it again more of like, this guy has more of a moral compass. But I guess the point was like later on, he realizes like, you know, I'm human. I'm the worst kind of animal. I'm a human. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I ate up all of that on the nose philosophical stuff. I love it. Um, I even like um, uh, Rebecca De Mornay's. Really? You know, because I just, I, I, I like, you know, just strictly speaking in a movie, because that's the thing, right? This film has a great way that it moves from, you know what I call storyland. It moves mm. from what feels like lived-in gritty realism until the last act when you realize, oh no, this is 100% storyland. This is a story, um, but they have given the world gravitas. Maybe it's with the help of snow. The, I think that the, all the, the trains... snow's great. I, I the, could have watched two hours of just a camera on the front of one of the trains going The train stuff Alaska. is shot so well. For yeah, 1985, I can't no, believe how true. well it's shot, the action. Um, the part where Buck is... Trying to jump to the other train and he's too much of a pussy to do it. Um, Like that sequence is wow. That's great. Absolutely wow. But no, I thought um, Rebecca de Mornay's uh, entrance into it kind of gives it like, it almost gives us an eyepiece into this odd triangle because Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything bad to happen to her for Sure. sure. That's the character that I guess we're really supposed to root for. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it, I think it worked well enough in the, in that regard. Like this isn't it, like by that by the point by the point she enters into the story, we know we're not in a Paul Thomas Anderson joint. Like we know that this is storyland. This is everything is is clipped together nicely, and this will take us to the end of the line, so to speak. And the end uh, of the line is going to be a guy standing on top of a train. <laughs> what going, a final shot! I'm the king of the world. That Come is, on, that's beautiful. No, no, I don't have any problem with that. I did enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I, like I, I've recommended. Oh, this I to just f- wish it had gone off a cliff. Actually, that would have really made it for me. I've recommended this to uh, four or five people who listen to the podcast. Actually, uh, and a lot of the time they don't they don't watch the films beforehand. They just listen. Um, but I've recommended this very strongly to a few people. I thought this was absolutely terrific. Um, great action. Great characters you had a problem with the characters i loved them i just I think thought, i i gone back to it. i just think like some of the line readings i just got the sense that a non-native english speaker was in charge of things and and similar going back to like clint eastwood and the one take thing mm. i just feel like some of the scenes where the the characters are talking to each other uh i feel like there was just a sort of like okay that's fine we got it move on did you enjoy um did you enjoy eric roberts in it I thought he was great. I, I mean, I was on board. See that whatever insanity he's doing suited mm. him, but I felt like John Voight's character, maybe it's just I've watched a lot of John Voight films. Yeah. It just feels like far, you know, far away from a lot of the other things he, 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 he's done over the course of his life. But like, it just didn't ring true to me. But again, as I say, I haven't been to prison in the 1970s or 80s or actually any, uh, decade good for you so so who am i to say what's accurate <laughs> i'm gonna leave it to eddie bunker to make that that call yeah um so yeah so the film got three oscar nominations in 1986 this was the same year that pretty's honor got eight nominations not a great a, year the finest year of american <laughs> cinema history um the person who came up with the original idea for this film was also nominated he got a best director nomination akira kurosawa for the film Ran. Indeed. Uh, Best Actor nomination was for John Voight. He lost to William Hurt for... Any ideas? Broadcast News? No. Kiss of the Spider Woman. 
Yeah, it was a slow Oscars so year. It's not I'd a say. good year. Wait till yeah. you get to this one then. Best supporting actor Eric Roberts. He lost to Don Amici. I have no idea who that is. Cocoon. <laughs> Cocoon. Old man from Cocoon. Yeah. Cocoon one. Yeah. That was a weird. It was a weird old time. The That's mid-80s. a weird year. Yeah. That's a, the most eighties decision I've ever heard. They also got nominated for best film editing. Henry Richardson. He lost to Tom Noble for Witness. It's an actual better film. Yeah. It was also entered into competition at the 1986 Cannes Film Festival alongside films such as Scorsese's After Hours and Jim, Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch's Down by Law. We watched the Palme d'Or winner from that year for the 1985. podcast. 85. 86. 86. Film from be, 85, 86. Would it be uh, The Last Emperor? No, it's, uh, what's his name, Roland Joffe film. Joffe Joff. Oh, right. Uh, Lovers on the Bridge? No, sorry. That's uh, Leos Carax. Joff, Joff, Joff. Don't tell me this and you can Ennio, cut the, Ennio Morricone? You can cut... Oh, yes, of course. Uh, sure, it's the mission, isn't it? Yeah. So, a weird year, all in all. Indeed, I guess yeah. maybe the mission was... Uh, maybe the mission wasn't at the Oscars the same year as it was at Cannes. I don't know if there was like a separation there. I'm going to say this. Out of all the films you've named just there, I think Runaway Train is the, the best. <sighs> Would I go The Mission or Runaway Train? I'd go Runaway Train. It's a it's a hard one. That's a that, but it's it's definitely between those two. Yeah, uh, I had a great time. This gets a high recommend from me. So glad I got around to watching it. I will be watching it again. Uh, hell yeah! Here's the uh, here's some of my other notes from this film. I said weird sound mix ADR question mark. Am I supposed to answer that? Nah, these are just some these are just some general comments. <laughs> I'll just I'll just give you some comments here. Real eighties slow mo eighties soundtrack. Eric yes, Roberts Eric Roberts is magnetic, unhinged. Yes, he's very good. Find a Hoppy's man who's ass too. Who was that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, here's the uh, find a man who looks at you the way John Voigt looks at that train. <laughs> here, here, here's some of my uh, Alcatraz my Alcatraz notes I've got. Um Charlie Butts turned 35 today. That's a, that's another rough uh, 35-year-old. That's a rough paper round again. They have a blues band. I forgot about that. They have a, they, they they get a blues but they're they're playing in a blues band. Who? Oh in, yeah, uh, in Alcatraz. They have a blues band. Yeah, my god. Fr- Frank Morris has got a fucking accordion. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that well that's um he ordered that and then adjusted it as a way to inflate the raft. They don't show it in the movie, but that's how he did it in real life. That's pretty genius. I mean, this mm. is the thing. Like, all of this got me. It got me reading again about uh, Florence. The, like, the US is only supermax prison, which yeah. is it's gonna have to get shut down at some point because prisoners spend twenty three hours a day in solitary confinement, and then they get one hour where they walk around a tiny yard outside, and then they go back to their cell. And the cells are all made of like this formed concrete, so there's nothing can be broken off. There's basically no privileges. It it just seems like insane torture. So well, it, it, so it, it almost does qu- qualify as uh, what the, what what do they call it? Cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's insane, and there's no way that anyone will ever break out. Like it's impossible to break out. Is this one of the places that uh, Louis Theroux was at one time or another? I don't think you can get into Florence. It's like it's got. Um, like all of the most high-profile U.S. criminals are there. Chapo's in there. One of the Oklahoma bombers, the one that's still alive. The Boston Marathon guy was in there. Dozar Sarniev or whatever he's called. Um, well, you know why they're in there? To keep them safe from Mark Wahlberg. 
That's it. <laughs> he did have his way with them. Before he fixes America. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at this place now. It looks fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's insane. There, there's there's a film coming out. Uh, I think Julia Roberts is making a film about it. Some kind of... Oh, well, that's exactly who we need. I think she's making a film about it. Um, but it, it's got to get... It must get shut down at some point. It's just crazy. Because they don't... I don't think they need Supermax. I think they... Well, okay, some of these people are so high profile. They couldn't mix with regular prisoners, but... You know, mm. Some people are in there just similar to Alcatraz because they like, escaped are people, or they murdered Are people still escaping from prisons? I assume so, yeah. Shame on the prison system as far as I'm concerned. How can you not stop guys from escaping? Especially suppose, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. As soon as they get back home and fire Do you know Eric Roberts home. was uh, estranged from uh, his sister uh, Julie Roberts for many years? Yeah, and John Voight was uh, similarly with his daughter, Angelina yeah, yeah. Jolie. So that's, uh, they both had weird kind of drug-fueled periods, which I think might have harmed their overall careers. I mean, Eric Roberts was great in the 1980s, and then he really dropped off the face of the earth for a period. Yeah, last thing I can remember seeing him in is he's in, um, what do you call it, the Inherent he's in Vice. The- he's in oh. Inherent Vice. I'm fairly, he's in one yeah, of the Batman films. What was he? Was he? In? He is. He's in Dark Knight. He. Uh, he's the. He's the guy who gets dropped off the roof. He's one of like a Falcon or someone. Yeah. He Swear to me. He's. He's the guy who gets that line. Swear to me. Solid respect. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this, is, this was a, a fairly. I don't know. Like a standard action movie week. Disagree. Thought it was great. Really enjoyed it. Hell yeah. I think they're. I think they're fine. But. The, Good I violence too. But I don't think I would revisit either of these films anytime soon. Oh, okay. I like if uh, if Escape from Alcatraz was on, I'd tune in anytime. It's very easy watching. But I would uh, definitely like, like if I had, if I had an afternoon, yeah, with a couple hours to spare and doing nothing else, I would. I would. How totally are you watching watch this? This this is probably quite a, a key point. Are you watching this on like a massive TV on your massive TV? Yes. Yeah, I was watching it on like a laptop screen. That must have had a that must have done something as well. I mean, I have headphones on, so there's mm. that. But yeah, I think you're getting a slightly better film experience in some of these. Might have been getting better bang for my buck, yeah. But I'm gonna. I've got a big TV here, and I just need to get an HDMI cable, and then I'll I'll be able to watch stuff in slightly better. Hell yeah, slightly better system. But I mean, there's still a very important question: What the mm-hmm. H do you want to watch next week? Well, I have picked a film for two weeks' time. Next week, we're going to be watching the uh, the Midnight, the Midnight Club. Club. Yes, very the excited. Mike Flanagan series. But Out for two uh, weeks time, yeah, on Friday, I think. Yeah, the seventh of October. Very excited. But for two weeks' time, I've selected a film that I didn't know existed until about a week ago or so. Um, I've Neither absolutely I. no idea how I came across this. I can't remember at all, but it is called The Razor's Edge. It is a remake. I think it's a Somerset Mon novel. It was originally made in the 1950s, the first version, I think. And this remake was made in 1984, starring Bill Murray in a fairly serious role, which I think yeah. was quite hard for audiences to take. But yeah, that was my choice. Okay, cool. M- matching up, with, uh, ste- stepping up to the line. Against the razor's edge, I have some heavy stuff going on. Um, based on re- uh, listening to a podcast recently about the history of China in World War II, I've gone for Lu Chuan's 2009 uh, war drama film about the rape of Nanking, City of Life and Death. 
Which I think looks excellent. It does look excellent. I've seen the like, trailer like many times. It looks pretty incredible. I know it's going to be hard. Wa- I know that will be hard watching if it wins, but uh, yeah, I think it looks great. Okay. Have, is it my week to toss? Because I got a coin right here, dude. Do you want to go I me or you? I have a coin, but I can't remember. I think it might be my turn to toss. You go toss, so. I'm back go in the it. Eurozone, so I've got a two euro coin. So that means it's. Oh, nice. Fancy. Or bull. Lady on a bull. Well, you know I'm going lady on a bull. Right. It is two. Oh, what? I'm I'm dis I'm gen- I'm genuinely quite disappointed because I wanted to kind of I wanted to watch that Chinese. Oh, uh, you don't know how disappointed you're gonna be, man. <laughs> oh no, what have you paired up with? Well, oh, tell me what I could have won first. Well, I chose another film from the same director, Lu Chuan, uh, which is called Mountain Patrol, which is about a group oh, yeah. of people that patrol the Tibetan plateau. It looks amazing. It's like it looks amazing. Like, also, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it looks like a great film. But, what a week uh, we could have had. Maybe I'll just break the rules and <laughs> watch them <laughs> this week again. No, I don't think we'll have the time. I don't think we'll have the time for much. Oh, no, I don't think we'll have the time for much. So, give us a quick run through again what the Razor's Edge is about, just so I can lead up to it and justify my pairing. I feel like um, this. As far as I'm aware, the main character serves in the First World War and then is maybe on like a search for enlightenment around the world or something like that. I've, I haven't paid much attention. Yeah, he goes traveling around the world looking right. for enlightenment. Uh, so given the epoch and given the search for enlightenment, I've gone with Warren Beatty's 1981 epic Reds. Okay. Have you ever seen Reds? <sighs> I'm... Don't know. I might have. I have. Oh, it's the whole communist thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe a long time ago. Now it is great. It is genuinely. It is really, really great. Yeah, it's three I, hours fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we can manage that in two weeks, right? It's nothing. Yeah, it's fine. And uh, as I can remember, it is really, really something else. So yeah, that's what we're doing: the Razor's okay. Edge versus Reds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe I'll watch Study Your Life and Death as well. Who knows? If anyone wants to check out The Razor's Edge, it is on YouTube, last I checked. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that's exactly how I'll watch it then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice one. Well, then, uh, until uh, next week in the Midnight Club, I guess it's uh, bye from both of us. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. I love you. Bye. I love you too. Bye. Bye.